You're listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. For more information about our church, visit our website at redrocksbaptist.org or follow us on Instagram at Red Rocks Baptist. Today, we are back in Colossians chapter 4 and winding down our study of Colossians. And we're going to be in a couple of different places in Colossians 4 for our text today. We're going to start in verses 2 through 4 and then jump to 12 and 13. And the topic today is prayer that we'll see here in a moment. Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then glance down with me at verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and for those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Would you pray with me this morning as we ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word? Father, we've come to the text this morning like hungry believers hungry infants ready to receive the milk and the meat of the word. So nourish us, we pray, as we open the scriptures today. May the Spirit guide us into all truth and that we would have an accurate understanding and be motivated to obey what your word calls us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. A few days ago, a golfer named Patrick Koenig made the Denver news. And he's not a professional nor is he from around Denver, so perhaps the question is, why is this guy wearing a clown crown and a popsicle polo shirt? Why is he in the news? Great question. As of October 17th, Patrick holds the record for the most golf courses played in a calendar year. Half of you are thinking, I didn't even know that was a record. Well, I didn't either until a couple days ago. And he played his 450th 18-hole golf course in Broomfield, and his goal is to play 500 golf courses this year. Uh, As basic math would tell us, that's more than one per day, even on leap years. And so to do this, he's averaged 11 courses per week, which is 198 holes of golf every week. He walks about 10 miles a day just on the golf course, and there are a lot of adjectives that come to mind when I think about this man, Patrick. Uh, a lot of different adjectives. Some of you are thinking, that sounds glorious. Others of you are like, he's nuts. But I think no matter which end of the spectrum you fall on, we could all agree that he is devoted. He's dedicated to this. He has given his life to accomplishing this goal, planning and traveling and swinging day after day after day. Colossians 4.2 opens with a simple command, continue earnestly in prayer, or as other translations render it, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. To be devoted to something is to give intense effort to it, to persevere even through obstacles or difficulties. Are you devoted to prayer? Godly saints of the past were devoted to prayer. Here are just a few examples. John Wesley prayed two hours a day. Martin Luther 
the reformer, Adoniram Judson, the great missionary, spent two to three hours a day in prayer. The English pastor, Charles Simeon, made it a habit to rise at 4 a.m. and to pray until 8 a.m. David Brainerd, missionary to the American Indians, spent multiple hours in prayer each day and regularly devoted entire days to prayer and fasting. Why were these people devoted to prayer? And why should we be devoted to prayer also? Well, Colossians 4 gives us three reasons for this that go beyond simply it's commanded or it's effective or, or Christians ought to do it. Sure, those are reasons enough. But Colossians 4 gives us three reasons for prayer that actually transform our perspective about it. And I'm excited to share it with you today because the, the, the things that we will see lead us to a surprising and I think a seismic conclusion that then changes the way we think about prayer. So why should we be devoted to prayer? First, because prayer advances God's kingdom. Notice the main prayer request Paul gives in Colossians 4, 3. We read it a minute ago. Meanwhile, he says, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains. The main prayer request that Paul gives is that God would open to us opportunities that the word of God would go forward. Prayer advances God's kingdom. Paul's burning passion here is that the word of God would advance, that the gospel would spread to nations. And if you read through his letters, over and over again, you see this same passion. In Romans 12, he's talking about coming to Rome, or Romans 15, coming to Rome so that he can then go beyond and go to the, the Spanish regions of the world uh, to, as we would see it today. So that he could preach the gospel to those people as well. He doesn't want to spend time where Jesus has already been named. He wants to go to frontier missions work because his passion was that the gospel would spread. But Paul knew something very important that for the word of God to take root in the hearts of people, God had to work. He couldn't just go and do what he wanted to do and uh, like following a 12-step plan for building a house. All right, step number one, rent a building. Step number two, gather a few people. And you know, by the end of three weeks and 12 steps, everything's good and we've got a church established. That's not the way it works. For God's church to be built, the Lord Jesus must work. There's no spiritual advance if God doesn't work. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, as Pastor Jerry mentioned this morning. And I, I regularly listen to their podcast, which come out once a week, and they share stories of the persecuted church. It's incredibly inspiring. And just a couple of weeks ago, there was a story from a couple of folks named Ben and Kimberly. And they're in Southeast Asia. They didn't even tell us what country they're in because it's so dangerous there for the gospel. And they talked about the power of prayer to advance God's kingdom. The story was incredible. It was about 10 minutes long on the podcast, so I'm going to try to condense it for you. In 2016, they became very burdened for this village that was kind of a, a, a couple hours walk from them. They said that there was an idol on every rooftop up to 70% of the, the village were practicing witchcraft as a witch doctor of some sort. This was a very dark place spiritually. And in 2016, a fire uh, burned several houses down and the village requested help. So Ben and his, his national partner went to the village and they did some humanitarian work. They helped rebuild some homes, handed out some things to, to minister to them. And then they asked the people, can we pray for you? 
And they kind of were hesitant about it. But they said, okay. So Ben and his coworker knelt down and they prayed for the people. And then they also prayed that, Lord, build your church here in this village. And this is on their heart now. So they went back to their home base and they're trying to get into this village. And time and time again, they say, nope, we don't want you here. Nope, we don't want you here. They let one medical clinic come in, but it was like a one day thing. They're just not making any progress, not having any traction. And then COVID hit. And they're kind of like, well, who knows if we're ever going to get into this village again. And then in March in 2021, so fast forward five years from the initial contact, Ben is preaching in his home church and two men slip in the back and they talk with him after the service and these two men come from, came from that village and they're ecstatic. <laughs> you mean the village we've been trying to get to all this time? Yes. And those two men were interested in, in God and the gospel and at the end of that day, one of the men was so convicted that he received Christ as his savior. And so Ben's coworker started to travel back and forth to the village over that summer of 2021, a couple years ago. And, and over the course of a couple of months, three, four, five months, 14 people accept Christ. And now a house church is starting to meet and form. And then the village elders showed up and, and some of them are getting saved. And in the, mat, in the span of six months, this little church is planted in the midst of this dark, dark place. And as Ben and Kimberly went then about six months later to preach in one of the services, Ben couldn't believe it. Because he said to his wife, the church that we are going to preach the gospel in is the very spot we knelt to ask the Lord to build his church. Here they are thinking, Lord, just, just build your church in this town. And God said, sure, I'll do you one better. I'm going to put it in that very house that you knelt in. And what Kimberly said in response that was really uh, encouraging, she said this, in essence, God was saying to us, you too didn't think that anything would happen in this village because you weren't doing it, but look what I was doing. Prayer advances God's kingdom. Sometimes we get caught so much in the, in the motion of the Christian life that we forget that, that if the Lord doesn't build the house, we labor in vain that build it. If the Lord doesn't watch over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. And there are certain things that we are called to do, certainly. There are responsibilities and commands to obey. But ultimately, at the end of the day, who is the one responsible for the advance of the gospel? It's only the Spirit of God that can take those who are dead in their trespasses and sins and make them alive. It's only the Spirit of God who can take blind eyes and let the scales fall off of it. We've talked about reaching our Jerusalem and, and wanting to see hundreds of people come to faith in Christ that live just like within a stone's throw here. We've tried different outreaches. There are a whole lot more we can try, but ultimately, we could save ourselves a lot of money and expense of motion if we would just get on our knees and beg God to open people's hearts. And that doesn't happen just once. What does Paul say in, in Colossians 4.2? What's the verb? Be devoted to it. Are we so desperate for God to work that we're going to cling to him in prayer for months at a time without any answers? Or are we just so comfortable in our Christianity that sure, I'll pray for those people over there, but I'm not gonna be devoted to it. Prayer is, advances God's kingdom. God works through prayer 
And if we aren't praying, it means that we're not believing that God can work. That's just the, the reality of it, is that if, if we're not praying, that means we don't have the faith. You say, of course I can believe that God will work. Then pray. Then do it. Well, there's a second reason why we should be devoted to prayer. Not just because it advances God's kingdom. But secondly, we should be devoted to prayer because prayer is hard work. That's a curveball. What do you mean prayer is hard work? I learned this lesson actually a few years ago where, where I was, uh, I think I was reading through Colossians in my devotions. And, and I was noting all the different things that, that Paul prayed for in the book. And I realized that he, te- he says a couple of times here in chapter 4 that prayer is really hard. And I was encouraged by that. Because I had been feeling so discouraged and defeated that when I got down to pray or when I tried to pray in the ministry here in preparation, it was just really, there was like obstacles and it was like a, a wrestling match and a battle. Well, if we realize that prayer is hard work and that it's a spiritual battle taking place, then we can prepare ourselves for it. Then we can persevere even through the difficulties. How many of you have, have ever run a race or, or participated in some athletic race before? Okay, several of us. All right, some of you are crazy and do huge distances. Uh, some of us are just like, yeah, I'm going to run to the fridge and back or the freezer and back. That's more what I've been doing recently. Uh, <laughs> I, I ran a race a couple years ago now. The last one I did was a duathlon, which is run, bike, and then run. And so it was a 5K run. I think it was about a 20-mile bike ride and then a 5K run at the end. And, and when I sign up for a race, I'm not going to win. I know that. It's just I've accepted that. But I go out and I train, and I'm, I'm pretty consistent with it. But you know why I train? Because I don't want to die on the race course. I don't want them to call my wife and say, yeah, you know, we've got this bib number of this guy who's just keeled over and he's gone because he couldn't finish it. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard, but I know that it's going to be difficult. I know that that race day is going to be tough. And so you put the training in. Now, some of you are talented enough that you can just sign up for a race and go do it. Uh, I don't advise that route, by the way. That, there's more pain when you do it that way. Several of you have pro- professional certifications, uh, exams that you've passed, or, or a bar, or a medical uh, license, things like that. Well, none of those cert- certifications come easily. They don't just hand them out, at least the last time I checked. They don't just hand them out on the, on the street corner. They're hard. But if you know that it's going to take a lot of hard work to pass that exam, what should you do? study, not just once or twice. You should study time and time again. Prayer is hard work. And if we know that it is spiritual labor and it's going to be difficult spiritual work, then we'll be devoted to it. Because that's what it takes to really progress in prayer. Prayer is hard work. And verse 2 teaches us that watchfulness is needed. Verse 2 says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. A sentry guarding a city is vigilant. They're awake at all hours of the night and alert, watching everything closely, ready to sound the alarm to take action. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked Peter, James, and John to watch and pray. It's the same word used here. Watch and pray with me. And, and how well did they do in that task? <laughs> they failed miserably, didn't they? And it's, it's, it's very interesting that the same thing that Jesus asked of his disciples is now incumbent upon every single believer to watch in prayer. 
Well, why do we need to watch? There are many reasons why we need to watch. But perhaps it's because we don't see progress or results in our prayer. I like tasks that I can check off. I'm 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 a box checker guy. Some of you who know me well are laughing. I like lists that I can cross things off on. And if I do something during the day that's not on my list, you know what I do? I add it to the list and then I check it off. Because it makes me feel good. And some of you are like, I'm right with you. But in prayer, so many times, we don't see the progress. We don't see the results of it. You could pray for months or years about something and, and never see any motion, at least to your perception. And that causes us to be tempted to think that prayer doesn't work because we can't see its effect. So watchfulness is needed there. But we need to watch also because God doesn't talk back. Some of you are very talented to to have a one-way conversation. And I'm not meaning this to be like an insult. Like some of you could could have a conversation with anyone. That's a gift. I, I don't have that. I struggle if you don't give me something to work with here. In prayer... We have nothing coming back to us audibly. Now, we have the written word of God, certainly. But there's a long time of prayer where it's us communicating with God and there's not an audible response back. So we have to watch. Watchfulness is needed because we're easily distracted. It, it's hard to stay concentrated, especially in today's day and age where you know, commercials and screens have made our attention spans like shorter than ever. Uh, it's really difficult to be concentrated for, for 20, 30, 40, 60, 120 minutes at a time. That's why sometimes it's helpful to actually like walk on a treadmill or go for a walk and pray. Sometimes driving in prayer is good. Obviously, if you do that, keep your eyes open. Uh, you don't want to be doing the old heads bowed, eyes closed on the, on the interstate. Distractions, though, can't, aren't just a concentration issue. Sometimes it's a priority issue, though. Yes, we are easily distracted in our culture, but there's a priority issue. And, and, and sometimes the priorities aren't just bad things. Like, hopefully you're to the point in your Christian life where you realize, okay, that's not helpful to me. I'm going to set it aside. But the distraction part of it can also be sacrificing best on the altar of good. Doing something that's necessary but not urgent and essential. And we have to make sure that we get our priorities straight because God elevates prayer to a very high priority. So we have to stay watchful, to stay on the alert to be devoted to prayer. But prayer is hard work second because it's, it's practiced regularly. We need to practice it regularly. In verses 12 and 13, Paul introduces us to one of his co-workers, a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras has already been mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 7. He's the guy that most likely planted the church at Colossae. He's a co-worker of Paul. Paul says in verses 12 and 13 that he's one of you. So he's from that area. And most likely, he planted that church at Colossae. He may have also planted the churches at Laodicea and Hierapolis, which were kind of like uh, uh, neighboring cities. So this man was was there. He was one of them, and we'll see why that's important in a moment. And he prays for them regularly. Did you see how Paul described him in verses 12 and 13? I bear him witness that he always labors fervently for you. I've got it up on the screen. Epaphras, who's one of you, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, 
that you may stand perfectly complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and for those in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Notice how often Epaphras prays. He says, always. And this, this could mean a couple of things. It could mean that he's literally always in prayer, or it's probably when he prays, he is praying always in this way. And what's the way that he prays? He prays with diligent effort. He prays with zeal and and fervency. He's giving his heart to prayer. He's certainly doing it on a regular basis. And so the question then comes up for us, do we, do we have regular times of prayer? Could someone look at our lives through the week and say they always are in prayer fervently for others? It's hard to be devoted to something if you don't do it regularly. And it's hard to really say, I'm devoted to this if your heart's not in it. If you're just kind of haphazardly going along, uh, just kind of mumbling your requests or like, well, I got a couple minutes here. I guess I'll pray real quick. No, it has to take priority on the calendar. It has to take priority in your schedule. To be devoted to it means that you are emphasizing it and elevating it above many other things in your life. So watchfulness is needed. Prayer is practiced regularly. And diligent effort is required. Epaphras prayed, laboring fervently, verse 12 says. We get the English word agonize from this Greek word. And this word shows up in back in chapter 2 where, where it actually describes Paul's own prayers. He's agonizing on behalf of the church. And this word was used to describe athletic contests, intense, drawn-out efforts to win it was used to describe warfare, life and death battles. And it was also used of actions that involve great intensity and effort. Now other translations will use words like contending in prayer or struggling or wrestling in prayer. And that's the idea. That Epaphras was laboring so intensely that he was wrestling. Verse 13 adds to this when it says that he has a great zeal for you. And that verb is used to describe work that involved much exertion, hard labor, and toil. It's not something that you just go clock in and sit at a desk. This was a physically demanding verb. And so applied to the spiritual life, this is a, this is a demanding, intense, effort-like action. Epaphras worked hard for the Colossians in prayer. Now, E.M. Bounds is kind of like the apostle of prayer in a lot of ways. His writings on prayer are incredible. And I came across this quote in the last couple of weeks. He says this, praying is spiritual work. And human nature does not like taxing spiritual work. Human nature wants to sail to heaven under a favoring breeze in a full, smooth sea. I resonate with that. And if we don't recognize that prayer is hard work, we're going to, to start avoiding doing prayer and, and engaging in prayer and wrestling in prayer because we're desiring a comfortable Christianity. Isaac Watts' is hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Hard things are not bad things. We tell our boys this all the time. Hard things are not bad things. 
But our human nature is such that, that we don't like hard work in the first place. And then when you layer on top of it our inability to, to perceive spiritual progress, it's our human nature to shy away from the hard work of prayer. And so I want to encourage you to labor diligently in prayer, to be devoted to it, to prioritize it in your schedule, to, to give your heart to it. And yes, you may walk away from it exhausted. Maybe you've experienced this, where you're, you're engaging in prayer and you're spending an extended period of time and, and you, you finish that time and, and you feel like you've, you've had a mental workout. Well, that shouldn't surprise us if prayer is hard work. And like physical exercise, the more you practice these spiritual labors, the, more strong, the stronger you become in them. And yet, I would be remiss if I didn't add this. Our effort in prayer is totally dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, all three members of the Godhead, the Trinity, are helping us to pray. The Father is the one we pray to, and he is leaning in with a bent ear, listening to us. The, the, the Lord Jesus, our great high priest, makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, intercedes for us with groanings that can't be uttered, making intercession for us. So even when you don't know what to pray, even when you don't feel like you can pray, even when you don't have the effort needed to pray, you can pray. Because it's the Spirit of God who's in you working to do this. Third, we should be devoted to prayer because prayer ministers to others. And that may seem like a pretty basic statement, but prayer literally reaches into the spiritual walk of someone else and touches them. How can that be? Well, prayer ministers to other people for their advantage. Look, look again at verses 12 and 13. Paul describes Epaphras' prayer two different times with this little phrase, for you. And this word for has the underlying word meaning on your behalf or for your advantage. And the way that I, that, that's helped me kind of understand this is the analogy of a lobbyist group. What is the purpose of a lobbyist group in political spheres? It's to go and pressure the people who make decisions or policies to advocate for a group or a cause so that they can pass favorable laws or devote part of the budget to the group that they're representing. Well, I, if we think of prayer as a lobbying group, there's, there's a part of it that's really helpful here. Because what we are doing is taking up the cause of someone else or the cause of another ministry and we are walking into the throne room of God and saying, please answer on behalf of these people. Please send your spirit to work in this, in this way. Now the analogy breaks down because God is not a far off bureaucrat who is trying to avoid us. He, is open, he has open arms saying, come and talk to me. And so if that's God's posture, and, and if we have this ministry of lobbying on behalf of others, then what a welcome we have before the throne of God. And so we minister to other people because prayer is for their advantage. And then second, prayer ministers to others, this is very encouraging, regardless of your personal relationship. There are some aspects of spiritual ministry that you have to have proximity to them. For instance, we, I mentioned a few minutes ago that we're collecting food for our Thanksgiving baskets. If, if there's a believer who lives in Kansas City or in Calcutta, we're not going to give them a Thanksgiving basket. There's no proximity. 
but someone in our community we can reach. Prayer is not like that. Because prayer is spiritual in nature. Therefore, you can reach all across the world in ministry when you pray. You can partner with other believers you know intimately well or partner with people you've never met before and never will meet before. That's the beauty of prayer. And we see this in the book of Colossians because Epaphras knew these people well. Remember, he was one of them. And so he's laboring on their behalf and he knew them. He probably knew who the people were who were struggling physically. He knew who the new believers were. He knew who the key leaders were that needed to be uplifted. He knew who the problem children were. He knew all that. And I I want to encourage us as a church to follow his example, that we want to pray for one another with knowledge. It's wonderful to pray for other people, but if we can know them and know their struggles and know the requests on their heart, how much more effectively can we pray for them? That's why small groups are so essential. A home prayer group or a Bible study where you're gathering with just a small number of other believers can be a blessing to you in this way. Because we're getting into the, the, the daily living with other people. But Paul also prays for these people. And Paul's on the opposite end of the spectrum now. Because in chapter 2 verse 1, he says that these believers have not seen my face in the flesh. What does that mean? That means he's never met these people before. He's writing an apostolic letter to people he has never met And yet, he can still have a ministry to them because he is praying for them. They couldn't pick Paul out of a crowd, and yet he could minister to them so effectively. And and, and the encouragement here is that you and I can pray for people that we will never meet, or people we don't know well, or people all over the world as we work on their behalf in prayer. And when you do this, when you lift up someone else in prayer, you become part of the ministry. You have spiritually linked arms with them and stood in the gap with them and encouraged them, even if they'll never know. On Sunday nights, we've been praying for our missionaries more consistently. And uh, one of the things I've been doing is trying to put up on the screen a map of where they are in the world. Well, all of these missionaries are, are flung all over the world. Most of us are never going to go to these places. Many of us will never have a personal relationship with these missionaries. And yet you and I can have ministry fruits and ministry partnership with these people when we pray for them. We are actually laboring together with these missionaries to advance the gospel, even though we're thousands of miles away, because we're contributing to their spiritual growth. And that's the third sub-point. Prayer ministers to others by contributing to their spiritual growth. You make a real difference in the life of someone else when you pray. And if you've ever gone through a hard time, a trial, a deeply discouraging time, you can feel the prayers of other people. I have. It's the prayers of the saints that support us and support one another. And Epaphras illustrates this. He prays fervently that they may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, that they would be spiritually mature and they would completely obey God's will. And and these requests that he's praying for focus on spiritual needs. Physical needs are important, but I want to encourage you to go beyond the physical. Underneath every physical challenge is a spiritual issue. You say, well, what are you you talking about? Does that mean that my, my surgery on my knee is because I've sinned? No, But if you have a surgery coming up, 
like several of the folks Pastor Jerry prayed for today. We can pray for their encouragement, for their strength, for their joy in the Lord, for them to have an effective witness, for them to be content in their circumstances. And we also should pray that they're healed. So we can't neglect one sphere, the physical or the spiritual, in favor of the other. But I want us to to look beyond the physical. By my count, there are 19 different prayer requests in Colossians, and every single one of them are spiritual in nature where Paul and his co-workers are praying for their progress in the faith and their advance in the gospel. So it's through our prayers that we have a critical role to play in the formation of other believers. So let's go back to that original question. Why should we be devoted to prayer? And the answers are pretty straightforward because it advances God's kingdom, because it takes hard work. And because it ministers to others. But, but there's a, a really a conclusion that we can draw from this that I want to just put in plain sight for all of us because it, it really makes a huge difference. When we pray for one another like this, we should devote ourselves to prayer because prayer is real spiritual ministry. You say, well, that, that's not really groundbreaking. But it is. Because if we understood that prayer is my means of reaching into the lives of all these people around me, then we would devote ourselves more to it. That the hard work of prayer is not just something that we gain a spiritual crown for if, if, if that's your idea of, of spiritual reward. Because prayer, prayer is far more than just, okay, another, another jewel in my crown. That's what I'm trying to say. It's more than just me. Prayer is one of the ways that we serve and support others, just like visiting shut-ins, just like encouraging the weary, just like teaching the word. Prayer is on that same level of ministry. And when we understand that prayer is real ministry that accomplishes real spiritual results, there are three effects that happen. First is that it revolutionizes our view of prayer. Because if we can get our heads around this, it, it, it Prayer is not something that I'm just supposed to do. Oh, yeah, it's commanded. Or if I want to grow a little bit spiritually, I'll just do this a little bit more. No, no, prayer, prayer is so effective and tangibly real in its ministry that I have to do it. And it transforms our prayers from perfunctory to powerful. It's not just, okay, let's pray before the food. Or we, we, should, we should probably pray to conclude the service or we have a business meeting, let's pray to open the meeting. Okay, those are good things to do, but why? Do we really believe that our prayers are making a difference? Do we really believe that we're talking to the God of the universe? Prayer is real spiritual ministry. And the focus then in prayer shifts from inward to outward because I I think a lot of times, I'll confess to you, I pray for my own growth, for my own development in the Lord, for my family's growth. But prayer isn't just a tool for my own edification. Prayer is now this ministry I can bless other people with. And if you're laboring faithfully to pray for one another and intercede for one another, be encouraged. There is real results taking place that God is at work in. Prayer is effective because it's it's truly spiritual ministry. But second, prayer is a powerful way that we serve others. And several months ago, we, we gave a survey. I don't know if you remember that. Some of you maybe are having, you know, blackout now. Like, oh, no, not that survey. We had a survey for you to fill out. Several of you did. Thank you. 
And one of the biggest takeaways I had actually deals with this point. There was a question there about serving at Red Rocks. And the question was phrased something to the effect of, where do you serve at Red Rocks? And if you don't, why don't you serve? Or how do you serve at Red Rocks? And there were a number of people that said, I don't serve because I'm too old or I'm too frail. And I want to connect the dots for us right here. Because if prayer is real spiritual ministry, then you can serve others regardless of your physical ability or your age. And if, if we understand that, that service isn't just what I do with my hands or with my, my mouth, if, if service includes what I do in prayer for other believers, then all of a sudden the vista of opportunities is open. Because you can pray all the way to your deathbed. You can pray even in a, in a, in a home where you're sitting day after day. You can pray if your, your body is breaking down. You can have a real ministry here. And this is one of the reasons that we've started a prayer team. Bobby Kachakin has started a prayer team. Because prayer isn't just a filler that we do. There's real ministry taking place. And that prayer team divides up our church and, and divides up our ministries and our deacons and our leadership. And we pray, they pray every month for all of these things. And if, if you're interested in, in learning more, you can certainly talk to him about it. He'd love to talk to you about it. Prayer affects people. And you can't have a ministry regardless of your age or your health. But then third, you will be rewarded for the spiritual ministry of prayer. Because if you've entered into the spiritual walk of others, that means that you've contributed to their spiritual growth. And what does God say? God is very clear in the scriptures that there is a reward for ministering to others. Hebrews 6 talks about it. Jesus mentioned that even a cold cup of water given in my name will not go unrewarded. How much more then? A ministry that labors unseen and silent before God alone, that encourages others. How much more will he reward that? It's through this ministry of prayer that God unites and grows a church. Because churches who are devoted to prayer are inviting the power of God into their midst because they believe that they're not good enough, that it is God who has to work, that it's God who has to move. Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, the greatest English-speaking preacher of all time, with whom I share a birthday, I might add, had an incredible ministry in the late 1800s, and I could talk to you for, for a few minutes about all the things that he accomplished. He was the most widely published preacher until about three years ago when John MacArthur took that title. And, and when asked about the secret of his church's success, he easily could have talked about his preaching because it was incredible, even though he had no formal theological training. He could have talked about all the army of people that went out into the city and, or the building that they built, or, but you know what he would do? He would take those people and go down to the basement of the church where there were people on their knees in prayer day and night. And he would say, this is the powerhouse, the engine of the church. Prayer. Why did he say that? Because prayer is real ministry. And he understood it. And I pray that we would understand it today as well. Would you bow with me? as we conclude this time. Father, there is just an encouragement here, a wealth of 
of wisdom in your word that, that calls us to look beyond the physical around us and, and labor in the spiritual battlegrounds that are raging all around us. I pray that we would have insight and perseverance and as this passage calls us to, devotion to prayer. And that you would grow our church in unity and in depth because we are praying. Use us, Lord. Use us to, to, to go into this community to bring the gospel to them because we're praying. And we rely on you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing it with others. Our mission at Red Rocks Baptist Church is to know Christ and to make him known. May God bless you as you follow him.